Hello, Bernice Harrison here. In October this year, we covered the story of Louis Futron, a Nazi exile and a vicious, abusive teacher who taught at the prestigious St. Conlet's College in Dublin for nearly three decades. In this episode, we heard from one of his former students, Argentinian writer and journalist Yuki Goni. The story we're telling today is shocking, but it was never a secret. In the 1960s, 70s and 80s, French students at St. Conleth's College, a prestigious South Dublin school, consistently achieved the best average Leaving Cert grades in the country. Their teacher was Louis Futron, a Nazi fugitive. Convicted SS officer, knowingly on their payroll for almost 30 years. Yukigoni was one of Louis Futron's pupils. I knew about it, my parents knew about it, the headmaster knew about it, all the students knew about it. And not only was Futron a former SS officer, several of his students allege he was physically abusive. He'd maybe punch or beat somebody and I thought, you know, he's a Nazi. That's his in his character. Yuki and others are seeking an apology from the school, as Ronan McGreevy reported this week in the Irish Times. It's not about what the school is now, it's about what it was. This is in the news from the Irish Times. I'm Bernice Harrison. Today, how could a violent former Nazi SS officer openly work as a teacher in Dublin for decades? Ronan, you reported this week that former pupils of a private Dublin school, St. Conlet's, were seeking an apology from the school for employing a former Nazi SS officer who, they allege, physically abused them in the classroom. Louis Futron, who died in 2009, he was a French teacher at the Catholic school, from 1957 to 1985, so a long time. Who was Louis Futron? What happened in his life up to when he became the French master at St. Conlet's. Well, he was born in uh, 1922. So at the outbreak of the Second World War, he would have been 17. He was a Breton nationalist. Breton nationalism is is this view that the French state basically annexed Brittany in the 16th century and that Brittany is a, is a nation. It's a Celtic nation like Ireland, like Wales, like Scotland, etc. And the Breton nationalism uh, got a real upsurge in interest, actually, as a result of the Easter Rising and the Irish uh, uh, War of Independence. Uh, Louis Foutrain would have grown up in that sort of an in- environment. During the Second World War, he joined a, a group called the Bezen Perot, who were a Nazi collaborationist uh, organisation. Essentially, uh, the view was that my enemy's enemy was my friend and that in in light of the German occupation of France that after uh, Germany was victorious in the Second World War, which the uh, Breton nationalists assumed they would be, that Germany would grant um, uh, Brittany uh, uh, status as an independent country. Foutrain j- uh, joined this group called uh, Bezen uh, Perro, and they were an organisation that were collaborationists. They singled out uh, Jews in Brittany for the Nazis and had them uh, d- deported to concentration camps. They also um, targeted French resistance fighters. At one stage in 1944, they rounded up 49 French uh, resistance fighters and they were 
shot by the Nazis. So obviously at the end of the war, uh, Futrain is a member of this group at the end of the war. Um, he and a lot of the others are sentenced to death in abstentia. Um, he manages to, uh, he is concealed for two years and then he flees to Ireland in 1947. He goes to a friend of his in Galway who's also a Breton nationalist and he eventually ends up as a teacher in uh, St. Connell's College starting in 1957. The photograph accompanying your article yeah. this week yeah. was of Futron in his SS yeah. uniform and now y- you explain here that he was an active SS officer. Yeah, yes. He So he was involved in atrocious war crimes and yes. he never faced justice. Instead, he stood in front of a classroom teaching Irish kids. Yeah, it seems extraordinary nowadays. Um, it really does. And it, it, it does sort of shed a light on a very uncomfortable part of our past, um, which is the fact that I wouldn't say Ireland was Argentina as such, uh, but Ireland turned a blind eye to Nazi fugitives after the Second World War. It's a well-known fact. I arrived in Dublin in 1968. My father was appointed the, the Argentine ambassador in Dublin. Yuki Goni is an Argentine author and journalist. He has reported on the disappearance of thousands of political opponents of the Argentinian military dictatorship from 1976 to 1983. And he's written a book about how Nazi war criminals were helped to escape from Europe after the Second World War. But in 1971, he was 14 years old and a pupil at St. Conleth's, where one of his teachers was Louis Futron. I joined the school immediately upon arrival in February 1968. My father's previous posting had been in Washington, D.C., where I was born. Uh, so I had grown up in the United States, and, you know, I came from 1967, you know, a mixed school in, in, in Washington, D.C., where we, you know, summer of love, and we, we were singing, you know, Wild Thing and Beatles songs in, in school, you know. And then suddenly I was plonked into uh, this classroom where it was all male, and... Um, and with this, this incredible thing that a convicted Nazi criminal was our French master. It was common knowledge at the school. I think it was on the very first day that I learned that he was a, a convicted uh, Nazi criminal. Even the headmaster used to talk about it. So I told my mother about this, you know, and of course my mother immediately went to see the headmaster called Kevin Kelleher and demanding that the, the Nazi thug be removed, you know. The headmaster just laughed it off. And, and, uh, and so, I, you know, I immediately kind of normalized it in my mind, you know, to the point that um, even when I wrote my book about the, the escape of Nazis from Europe, I didn't include Futron. And it, it took me a long while till I realized, hey, the first Nazi I ever met was actually my, the French master at my school. And you, your father is a diplomat. What did he say? My father didn't want to insist on this because he was the ambassador in a, in a diplomatic role. He, you know, he couldn't really go to war with St. Collins about the, about the Nazi teachers. So uh, it kind of, it got normalized. You know, today we would call it normalized. So everyone knew about his past. Like, wasn't that really strange at the time? Absolutely, yes. And Futron himself talked about it. It was well known that he could not go back to France because he had a death sentence on his head. And he used to talk about in class to his students and, and say, well, you know, after the summer vacations, he'd say, and we'd ask him, where have you been? And he said, well, I went to, to my hometown in France and, 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 or in Brittany. And, uh, and we said, but 
how do you manage that? Because you're a convicted criminal, right? And he said, he used to laugh and say, well, no, I travel to Belgium and then some way, you know, just kind of cross the border, you know, surreptitiously to France and not have to go. He always he always mentioned that he, he had to go to a town next to his hometown because he couldn't actually go to his hometown. And that was as close as he could get. And you say he was physically abusive. Can you describe his conduct in the classroom? He was nefarious. I mean, he used to, he used always smoking a Galois cigarette and he'd, he'd flick the lit stub in your face. I've seen that myself. He, he would fl- rush into the classroom in a mad rage. Galois sticking out of, you know, protruding lower lip, push it into somebody's face. He'd call you to the front of the class and he'd, you'd have to name every item of clothing you had in French. And anything you couldn't remember the, the name for in French, you had to take off. So some of us ended up practically naked in front of the, you know, the classroom. He used to punch, beat, uh, you know, drag you up from your sideboards, uh, you know, lift you out of your out of your desk, and then he'd maybe punch or beat somebody. And I thought, you know, he's a Nazi. That's his in his character. So he's picking on us because he doesn't have, you know, French resistance fighters to pick on. And he doesn't have Jews to pick on. One other former pupil gives an insight into the physical violence, Kieran Owens. He said that, and I quote, I recall seeing fellow classmates for the slightest transgression being flung across the room, punched, or having themselves pulled up out of their seats by the hair of their sideburns by Futron. Your mum did approach the school to complain, but to your knowledge, did anyone else, did did any other parents ever complain to St. Conlitz about, about Futron's conduct while he was employed there? Not to my knowledge, but you know that of course doesn't mean it didn't happen. It it got it was completely normalized. It was like a joke. There was a letter that a, a classmate of of mine wrote. He wishes to an, remain anonymous, but he says, you know, just the fact that somebody like that is in an institution poisons the whole institution, and it poisons the mindset. And and and, and it's a question I've often asked myself in Argentina. So many Nazi criminals, Adolf Eichmann, Josef Mengele, lived here amongst us. One lived two doors down from my parents, you know, I discovered during research for my book. And I felt that um, their presence uh, kind of corrupts society because you get used to cohabitation with evil and you normalize evil. And I think that happened in, in St. Collins. You and other past pupils say that Louis Fratton was physically abusive. In a letter sent recently to the Board of Management of the school, you wrote, and I'm quoting you here, that he unleashed his baser instincts upon defenceless children. And far from being an example to emulate, he was a boastful, unrepentant and proud former officer in the most evil and tyrannical organisation of the 20th century, the Nazi SS. That letter is not a solo letter. It includes testimony of other former pupils of the school. How did that letter come about? I wrote a book about the Nazi escape, right? And the Dublin Festival of History invited me to give a talk at the Unitarian Church at St. Stephen's Green. With my little network of these 1980s former students of Conlis, you know, I told them, look, I'm going to go. I'm thinking of talking about Futron. What do you think? And, and the feedback was very positive, you know, Yes, please. You know, some of them are, have been deeply traumatized by this, including one who's the grandson of a Holocaust survivor. As you can imagine, you know, being forced to strip by, by a former SS, you know, convicted SS officer in front of the class because you can't name something, you know, an item of clothing in French. So I decided, OK, so I wrote it up and I delivered the lecture. 
He was not a stern but excellent French teacher, as St. Calmus describes him. He was a Nazi fugitive who beat his students. And I ended the lecture uh, demanding an apology from St. Calmus. Public apology for having once upon a not so long ago inflicted this Nazi monster upon successive generations of its students, I among them. And the next day, I delivered a letter uh, at St. Colin's itself, you know, via email. One thing that really incensed me is that in the literature that, that St. Colin's was putting out, you know, like this, they, they, they have, you know, like anniversary, you know, book lists that they put out, you know, the 71st anniversary, they put out something. And they wrote these glowing pieces about Futron, mentioning, you know, he, he did go on about the Nazis. They, they, they accept that. Um, but he was he was a stern, but but you know, but they, 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 they insist they always insist in these, you know, he was such a good French master. And I in the letter I say, hey, you know what? You could have found during 30 years, I'm sure you could have found another excellent French master, just as good or even better than Futuron, or maybe a little less good, but who wasn't a convicted SS officer. So that, you know, that excuse doesn't fly for me. You know, I see that in St. Connell's 50th anniversary publication, the school paid tribute to him. He was recently retired. And in the piece, he's described as someone, and the quote is, had a difficult time immediately after the war. But it says nothing more about his past. It also says that his students always held him in the highest regard and their grasp of the French language was regularly acclaimed. Now, that's in the 80s, but Fast forward to 2014, because in that year's school publication, there are a couple of pieces about Futron, who had, he died in, in, in 2009. In one, his Nazi past is described, but, but briefly, and elsewhere he's described as an excellent teacher and, quote, a strong disciplinarian. It says, although he instilled more fear in his pupils than other teachers, it is probably fair to say that he also imparted more learning than most. I mean, that's only 2014. How, how do tributes like that make you feel when you hear them about someone who, you know, was an abuser and a literal Nazi? I was just aghast. I couldn't believe that. And that's why I insist, no matter how good a French teacher he was, in 30 years, you could have found somebody else just as good who wasn't, you know, an, a member of the SS. In one St. Conleth's publication, uh, just from 2014, a writer says that the source of support for the cause of Breton independence was immaterial to Futron. It just happened to be the Nazis that were supporting Breton independence. But he would have taken help from anywhere. Is that excuse, that rationalisation, I suppose, what allowed him to be accepted as a former Nazi in Ireland? He definitely was tolerated at the school because at the school they said that um, when you questioned his presence there, they said, but no, but he's not really a Nazi, he's a Breton. And he, he just, he allied himself with whoever he could, in this case, the Nazis, because the ultimate goal is, is, you know, the independence of Brittany, but he's not really a Nazi. And again, I have to underline, there's lots of Breton nationalists who passionately desire the independence of Brittany, who did not join the Waffen-SS, who did not become, you know, an SS Oberscharfuhrer, and who did not participate in, in, the, in the persecution of French resistance fighters or, or Jews. And so, yes, you can be a Breton nationalist without being a Nazi and without joining the SS. So that, that, that excuse... Um, that, that the school authorities gave to me back then in 1968, 69, 70, 71, when I was there, 
it did not fly with me because I told them exactly what I'm telling you now. He could have been a Breton nationalist without joining the SS. Just as good. Probably would have been better for Brittany. I don't know. I hope St. Connus does the right thing. Well, and I speak in a which, actually, Yuki. What do you want them to do? Um, they will have to decide for themselves. Uh, what I'm asking for is for a public apology. On Wednesday, one day after I spoke with Yuki, St. Conleth's expressed its regret, and the quote is, for any conduct which failed to meet the standards, end quote, of the school, and said it had written to Yuki Goni to express regret for his, quote, personal experience, that Futron was physically and psychologically abusive. It also said that it was unaware that Bezon Perrault was implicated in atrocities during the Second World War until after Futron's death. Ronan, we went back to Yukigoni to get his reaction to that. Let's listen to what he said in response. St. Conlitz has passed up the opportunity to make a clean break with its bleak past. It has opted instead for a non-apology anchored more in 1970 than in 2023. The school statement is a lesson in victim-blaming, attributing the violence inflicted on us to our personal experience, in quotes, a veiled metaphor for our imagination. What was requested was a frank acknowledgement that St. Conlitz knew Futron was a convicted war criminal and, and of the violence that the school applied as state policy. Conlitz has chosen instead the cowardly path, leaving that task for the future. So, Ronan, clearly the school has not satisfied Yuki Goni. What, what's your, your reaction to his reaction? Well, it's, um, you know, he asked straight up for an apology and an acknowledgement that, that the school had employed a Nazi and knew it employed a Nazi uh, for almost 30 years. He didn't get that. What he got was uh, a sort of equivocal statement where it said, I'm just going to read from it here, that research undertaken in more recent times has uncovered not only the identities of the members of Bezon Paro, uh, but also the involvement of some of their members in atrocities carried out towards the end of the war. The school has always been aware that Mr. Futrain was an ardent Breton nationalist, but was most shocked and concerned to learn of the research that may have implicated him in the possible carrying out of atrocities. It was only uh, after the death of Mr. Futrain that the school became aware of these allegations. So there's a couple of contentious statements there, one of which is that the school didn't know um, what the school is basically stating here is that it wasn't aware that Mr. Futrain might have been involved in uh, some atrocities. What it does not say is that it was not aware uh, that he had been a Nazi or had been involved in the SS. Um, certainly, it was a well-known fact that Bezem Perot was um, an organisation that had been involved in atrocities because why else would the likes of Futrain and so many members of Bezem Perot flee to Ireland after the war? Why was Futrain sentenced to death? And obviously... You know, it's it's easy for us to say this now. You know, people in those days didn't have the benefit of Google. I mean, how were you supposed to find this out? But I can tell you first fact that uh, 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 Yuki Goni does not believe that the school didn't know that he had been um, a Nazi and an awful lot of other students uh, uh, have backed him up in that regard. And of course, the school doesn't use the word sorry. It uses the word regret. 
Yeah, um, we're we're in semantics here. Um, It also expresses profound regret for any conduct by Mr. Foutrain or any other person employed by the school which failed to meet the standards of conduct and education which we have espoused since the school's foundation. Sorry seems to be the hardest word here. I don't know why maybe it's on legal uh, advice, but um, um, it certainly isn't what Mr. Goni asked for. And I'm afraid this story is going to rumble on. uh, and, And I think he also stated that perhaps it'll be for a future generation of of management at, at St. Conlet's College to acknowledge the historical wrong that there was in employing this man. Well now, all week you've been talking to other past pupils, not only Yuki Goni. Did anyone, did any of the men speak in Futron's defence? No, uh, absolutely not. Um, what they said was that he was a very violent individual, temperamental he was nasty. He made the students take off items of clothing if they didn't know the French name for them. What they were really concerned about was what they felt was a culture of violence in the school in the 70s and 80s. Now, it is historical. It's important to state that, that it's not the school as it was today. But they said a full train was just one of a number of, 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 of teachers who uh, violently assaulted uh, students above and beyond what was the culture at the, the, the time. Coming up, Louis Foutron was not the only Nazi to make Ireland his home. Well, now, another thing that Yuki Goni said there, it was in relation to Foutron's activity as a Nazi officer. And Futron said that, you know, that was a means to an end, the end being Breton independence. That was his rationalisation for it. You could dismiss that. And uh, what, what do you think of that? Well, I mean, look, this, this is very, very current to our own country because in 2003, there was a service at a Sean Russell statue at which Mary Lou MacDonald, who could be the future Taoiseach of this country, spoke. And that rationale has been used also to justify, to, to excuse Sean Russell. Sean Russell's attitude was he wanted an independent Ireland and he was prepared to collaborate with anybody who would, was prepared to uh, bring that about as in he had also been to communist Russia. And Foutrain made the same excuse saying, well, look, it, it, it's not the Nazis. They're just a means to an end. Had it been the Soviet Union, we would have done the same thing. But the thing about it is, is that an awful lot of Breton nationalists did not collaborate with the Nazis. They felt very strongly about the um, independence of of Brittany, but they never collaborated with the Nazi. He went further than that. So I don't think there's any excuse for any collaborationists throughout Europe during this time period. Futron wasn't the only Nazi to arrive in Ireland in yeah. that time. It, it wasn't so unusual. Not at all. And um, there was a documentary, a two-part documentary, which caused a lot of furore in 2007 called Ireland's Nazis. And it was presented and produced by Cahal O'Shannon, who's a very eminent broadcast in RTE, who had actually done the opposite. He had joined the British DRAF during the Second World War to fight the Nazis. And he uh, exposed basically an awful lot of former Nazis from across Europe who fetched up in Ireland. Among them, not just Foutrain, but also the, the head of 
of uh, the Ndubaisan Poro group, Celestine Lane, and another guy called Alan Youssef, who lived in Galway along with several others. There was also the case of a Croatian collaborator called Andrea Artukovic, and then a, a notorious uh, Austrian Nazi called Otto Skorzeny, who actually bought a big house in Ireland in 1957. But I suppose the most famous Nazi collaborators um, are people who are household names. One of them is Albert Follins. So anybody who bought um, a book, um, uh, who's, who's had to books, buy school yeah. books, he is, he is the founder of that company. And Albert Follins was a Flemish nationalist who was sentenced to 10 years um, for collaboration with the Nazis in after the Second World War and then uh, came to Ireland under a assumed name in the 1950s. Um, it should be said, coincidentally, that I actually got a, a was contacted by um, a daughter of Albert Follins last week to say that she is publishing a book this month refuting a lot of the allegations that were made about her father that he was a Nazi collaborator. She doesn't deny that he was a Flemish nationalist but she said he was not a Nazi collaborator. We'll see when that book comes out. There's one other guy who was very, very famous back in the days, probably forgotten about now, but his name was Albert Loix and he was involved with Charles Hawhey and uh, Captain James Kelly in the arms trial in 1970s. Um, there was loads of others. There was a guy down in Galway. Um, I remember when I was living as a student there who was a photographer um, who was rumoured to have been a Breton nationalist who was, had been a Nazi collaborator. And I'm sure they will all come out of the woodwork then. But the, 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 the point about it all was that because Ireland had been neutral in the Second World War, um, uh, the Irish state was also neutral about any Nazi sympathisers who washed up on the shore. They said, well, you know, we're not going to prosecute these people. So as a result of that, um, quite a few people ended up in Ireland. But it should be said that the world was awash with former Nazis fleeing their past. I mean, a lot of them went to America under assumed names. They went to Canada and famously, of course, they went to Argentina and to Brazil. Now, younger people listening to this podcast might be astonished at the idea of a teacher violently hitting pupils. Um, but of course, corporate punishment in Ireland was quite legal up until 1982. Well, actually, uh, strange you should mention that. I, I spoke to uh, my colleague, our colleague, Kitty Holland, about that yesterday. She said that that is not strictly speaking true. It, there was an advisory sent to schools in 1982 that uh, schools could not inflict physical punishment on, on students and if it was if they were to do it only the headmaster or headmistress could do it um, so uh, it was only in the 1990s that corporal punishment was finally um, banned from schools I mean I, I went to school secondary school in the 1980s I went to a boarding school I saw I saw fellas been hit all the time um, it, it is very very hard for any for to recreate that atmosphere um, right up until the early 1990s I think I think uh, corporal punishment was accepted as part and parcel of a lot of schools in this country from top to bottom So past pupils have been getting in touch with you with their stories do you think that should schools in general be reckoning with this past, this past of corporal punishment against students, the students who are regularly beaten? Or, you know, is it is it just a can of worms that many schools would just like to remain closed? Look, just move on. That was then. This is now. Yeah, I, I, that's a good question. And again, I was I was discussing this with Kitty last night. I, I mean, this is the Mount Everest of abuse, if you know what I mean. I mean, every school in Ireland, I am sure, um, except the most enlightened ones, would have to fess up for that. I mean, 
everybody, I'd say, who grew up in the 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s and went to school in that time period will either have been hit themselves or saw somebody who was hit. I mean, I don't know how you would even begin to address this issue because this issue was ubiquitous. Um, it was... Um, especially in boys' school. I mean, you know, I, I saw myself with my own two eyes and I'm not that old. Um, and and, and so, so where would you even start with all of this? I don't know. But I can tell you that students in St. Conlet's College have come forward to me to say that there was a culture of physical uh, corporal punishment that went beyond what was even acceptable in the 70s and 1980s. Thanks very much, Ronan. That's it for today. For more Irish Times journalism, subscribe at irishtimes.com forward slash subscribe. I'm Bernice Harrison. This episode was produced by Declan Conlon. In the news, we'll be back soon. <laughs>